It's good to see everyone today. We thank you for joining us for our Tuesday edition of Answering Religious Error as we go through our current series entitled Why I Believe. And so we hope that you'll follow along with us today as we search the scriptures uh, to you know, search the Bible and search our hearts in order to defend the truth. What we believe is the truth according to God's word and applying that to our lives and why we uh, you know, expect others to do the same. We want to remind you of some other programs that we have throughout the week. And of course, if you have any questions, uh, Bible questions or comments, please submit those to questions at answeringreligiousera.com for our live Bible Q&A every Wednesday at 12 noon Eastern time. And again, you can email us questions at answeringreligiousera.com. You can ask questions uh, while we are online uh, through our Facebook page, as well as the YouTube channel. But remember, if you are using a shared page and watching off of somebody else's shared page, we won't be able to see any comments that you might make. Today's program uh, simply centers around um, some of our lesson material that Mark Dunnigan has prepared for us. So it's not really an open question and answer, but you're welcome to make comments. Uh, sometimes we might be able to utilize those in our discussion. Uh, so feel free to do that. If we say something today that sparks an uh, interesting question that you might have, uh, please submit that and we'll add that to our Wednesday lineup. We also want to remind you that our programs air in a podcast platform after the program airs originally. And if you're a podcast listener, then you know what I'm talking about. You can primarily go to Spotify, Apple, and things like that to find our podcast. But we also want to remind you that every day, you can start your day with a Daily Answer podcast. And that's, again, Mark Dunnigan as he shares 15, 20 minutes of encouraging words for us, perspectives of life and godliness so we hope that you'll start each day, 5 a.m. Eastern Time, with the Daily Answer podcast. And you can listen to that anytime. Today, we're going to be talking about why I believe that Christians need to be vocal. So uh, looking forward to this discussion as we talk about uh, one of the primary things that God has commanded us to do in Scripture, and that is to spread his gospel, proclaim Jesus Christ. We have, of course, with us today, uh, Mark Dunnigan. Terry Benton and Mark Gibson. It's good to be with you guys. Thanks uh, for being here on this Midday Tuesday. I'm Chris Kramer, and uh, we want to thank everyone for joining us as we have some that are joining uh, throughout the, the next hour. Before we begin, though, let's uh, bow in prayer and give thanks to God. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this opportunity to give praise to you through the study of your word, through answering questions that uh, will hopefully spark a greater desire and deeper faith in our understanding of your word and our relationship with you. Please help us that we may as Christians understand our duty to be vocal about your word, that it is not just a book that is to sh sit on a shelf, but that we are to be a people that proclaim the goodness of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that souls may be saved, that they may have a hope and an opportunity in heaven. We have so many that are so vocal in our world today with so much worldliness, and um, we ask that you help us to be that light that shines in a dark place, that you may be given the glory and not ourselves, but that we may proclaim the, the good works of Jesus Christ in all that we do in all of our lives. We thank you for this opportunity to teach and preach uh, through the internet, and may all who are listening be encouraged and uh, share the gospel. We thank you for all of our blessings and please forgive us of our sins for we don't come before you as a perfect people, but humbling ourselves that we may be acceptable in your sight. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Once again, it's good to be with you, Mark. You have uh, prepared these questions for us in advance and we appreciate your efforts in these studies. Uh, some great topics and um, looking forward to another good study this morning. So I'll send it over to you and uh, we'll start our study. Chris, great, great to see you guys. Great to see everybody uh, this morning. On uh, here we are after Labor Day and into the uh, the beautiful month of September, which is a, an enjoyable month. And uh, it was great listening to Terry as the tr his trip yesterday uh, back in two thousand nine. We were up in some of that same part of the country: uh, Columbia, Tennessee, Lawrence, um, Hole in Wall. Uh, out by, I think, also portions of the Natchez Trace out there. So uh, kind of a, just a, I, I didn't realize as I looked on a map, I didn't realize, yeah, Terry's pretty close to all 
all of that there. That uh, finally put together in my mind that it wasn't that far away from those places. So 1 Timothy 3.15 says, but in case I'm delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself from the household of God, which is the church of a living God, the pillar and support of the truth. And today's show deals with the importance of why I believe that Christians need to uh, be vocal, to be vocal about their faith. And gentlemen, Uh, What is meant by the statement that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth? Your observations on this as we start off today's program. Well, a pillar holds up a roof. A ground holds up a building. And so the church is basically that organization or that people whose sole purpose is to hold up the truth of the gospel. We, we hold it up. I mean, we don't hold it up by remaining silent. Uh, we hold it up by, make, by being vocal. And, uh, and so I, I, would, I would encourage us all to realize that church is God's organization. And it is God's design that the church be the one that tells the truth. The world's not going to tell the truth. The world's not going to tell the truth about creation. The world's not going to tell the truth about sin. So where are they going to learn it? Uh, well, they're going to have to learn it from the church. And we as Christians uh, are, are the members of that, that church. So therefore, we have an awesome responsibility to take this treasure that God has given to us and hold it up and share it with as many others as we can. And if we don't, we're not doing what the church, it's like having some pillars and a foundation, but it's holding up nothing. If you don't hold up something, then uh, then it's useless to be called the pillar and the ground of something. Those are my thoughts. I agree with Terry on that entirely. yeah, pillars and ground were all ideas of supports. Sometimes pillars were also for ornate uh, decoration. They would some of the pillars that we see today in the archaeological finds were beautiful, uh, ornately carved, and so there's an idea of the demonstration and and upholding the beauty of the truth of God, uh, and so. The idea is, he tells Timothy here to know how to conduct yourself. And like Terry said, it's the idea is the church upholds the truth. Therefore, those who are members of the church need to be upholding that truth. That's the idea. We need to be teaching that truth. We need to be spreading that truth. We we don't need to be ashamed of that truth. We don't want to put a cover over the, the, the pillars and the ground and cover it up so nobody can see it. No, it needs to be out there, like the salt of the earth, like the light of the, like the light not hid under a bushel. Uh, so definitely, the the statement there encourages the ch- us as the church, and the church is the people. The pillar and ground suggest a building, but it was used simply using the building that they were used to seeing uh, all around their communities there in the Roman world as a symbol of the idea of who you are. You are. You are the pillar. You are the ground. Also, we need to make the point that uh, the church is not the originator of the truth. There are some who teach today among our Catholic friends that the church is one of the pillars of the authority. You have the Bible as one of the legs. You have tradition, and then you have the church. The church can determine what truth is. But that's not what this scripture says, nor any other scripture. It upholds the truth. The truth comes from God. The truth is settled in heaven. And so the church is only that which upholds, demonstrates, uh, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 11, it demonstrates the manifold wisdom of God, which is revealed by his word. And so as people who are the church, let's be holding that up. That means for people to see and people to wonder at and people to stand in awe of, not of us, but of that truth. That's my thoughts. Well, it is uh, the organization which Christ built in order for us to be in the presence of God. Uh, This kind of answers another question that comes up quite often. 
Uh, do I even need the church? A lot of people want to look at their personal relationships with God and uh, ignore any kind of responsibilities to a located work or a group of people, which completely defies you know everything that Jesus Christ died for. Certainly, we have an individual responsibility toward our own souls, but that is not without our responsibility toward his body, which is the church. Read Ephesians chapter 1, or really all of Ephesians for that matter. You're looking at the church with which Christ built, and that relationship that we have about being in Christ is also being in his body, which he is the head, and the body can't survive without the head and vice versa. But as Peter said, to preach the word, uh, you know, the source of 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 the of the word of God is as far as uh, you know, it's preaching and teaching is to come from the or well, let me rephrase uh, Ephesians three. Verses 10 and 11 teaches us that the manifold wisdom of God is to be made known by the church. Now, I think there's a twofold part in that. In fact, that the church exists by everything that God accomplished. Uh, we show the wisdom of God in the existence of everything that took place on the day of Pentecost. And that's, you know, one of the purposes of Christ's death. And uh, two, yeah, we, we need to teach and preach. You know, where are you going to go to hear God's word? Uh, we need to be part of his body, which is the church. And this isn't to say, like we are doing today through a video mean online, um, online that we can't spread the gospel through individual ways, which we are doing. We are not representative of a particular uh, congregation or whatnot uh, here. We're not supported by any uh, church. We, we are preachers who love the gospel. And as you have done for many years, brought an aspect of the gospel through answering religious error because we see so much of it out there. We try to use the tools that are given to us in order to, uh, you know, defend God's word and preach against, you know, the tools that are out there defending Satan's way. So we have a responsibility to be vocal about it using, I believe, every resource that's available to us. And um, I think it's also the fact that you know, when you look at God's people as the church, as, of course, Ephesians once again describes, uh, look at the Bible itself. For the most part, it's addressed to the people of God. Uh, those books of the Bible, you know, that we love, uh, you know, all the way from, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were all written to a very specific audience. You've got Romans all the way through Revelation, written to a very specific audience. And in the majority of those cases, they are epistles to churches, local congregations, same gospel, same doctrine. And um, they were to go and preach and their faith was to be known throughout the world. So the building, the pillar and the ground are yet another analogy that the Lord uses like he does with a habitation, a city, of course, a kingdom. Um, and um, I, I'm, I'll just say this one last thing is that I'm reminded of the, the temple of the Old Testament. After they returned to Jerusalem after bondage, um, the, the building itself was never the same. And people lamented over the fact that it didn't have, quote, the glory, not the outer glory that the original temple had had. But God's determination was about the inner glory and the glory within which translates into what he wanted the church to be at, uh, at some point in the near future. And uh, that's what we need to see within the church. It's not about the, you know, the steel or wooden building that we have sitting there in a field where we go and worship. Those are four walls that we use to, uh, for the purpose of worshiping God. So we respect it as such, but therein is where the gospel is taught and preached. And we carry that word outside the doors of their building. I heard an analogy once that, or an example that if you, if you train an army and you just keep them inside the barracks, what are they going to do? They're going to start fighting with each other. An army that's trained needs to go out of the barracks and take their training out into the war. And uh, we as Christians must be vocal in the teaching of God's word. We might also add that the Bible also describes what error does, and that is it's not solid. It falls down. Ezekiel chapter 13 talks about what false prophets do, and the Lord describes them there as those who plaster the walls with untempered mortar, which means they're going to fall down. 
And then Jesus talked about a house that's built by one who doesn't hear and listen and do the word. They hear the word, but do not do it. Matthew chapter 7, build their house on the sand. So you have, if you're going to uphold error, you're going to have flimsy walls that fall down. You're going to have foundations that will crumble. And so the only thing that will hold up the truth is good, strong stand for the truth and those who have faith in the truth. Good to see Bob with us this morning. We're hoping that you join us. Uh, would you like to add anything to our first question? Or... Well, did, uh, let's see. The church is a pillar ground of truth in that it is, is designed to support the truth. It supports the truth through evangelism. It supports the truth through edification. You've got to, you know, you hear a lot, uh, maybe not so much recently, but in the past, churches of Christ have been divided over uh, church support of uh, educational institutions. And the argument is made, well, uh, we've been dependent upon them for years for our elders, training our elders and our preachers. And so we, you know, we need to give back. But that's the purpose of the church is to train its young men to be uh, first and foremost, godly men, uh, teachers and preachers and, and eventually elders. And of course, teaching the young women also how to be wives and mothers and uh, how to teach children, etc. And and so that's the that's the role of the church is to educate not just themselves but the the world uh, regarding the truth of the gospel. And so, uh, if not if not us, who? And if not now, when? Uh, as the question goes. And so, uh, I'm probably repeating uh, repeating something. I'm sure, but uh, I got a phone call toward the end there, and uh, just as I was about to get ready, and by the time I got off of that uh i was running late but uh that's that's my thinking on first timothy three fifteen. bob great to have you on the show you know chris in acts chapter 20 verse 27 paul says in verse 26 i testify to you this day i'm innocent of the blood of all men well okay why is that paul for i did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose or the whole counsel of God. And it's interesting when he says, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. That to me goes back to a statement that God said to Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 3 and in verse 17. Son of man, I've appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and you do not warn or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live, that wicked man will die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. And those are convenient passages to brush away and say, well, that was then, that has nothing to do to us now. But when Paul said, I'm innocent of the blood of all men, it just seems like that Paul says that that principle stated to Ezekiel is very much still valid. And that is, yes, if I don't, if I don't, if I see somebody involved in error or sin, et cetera, and if I don't give them any warning and they never repent, yes, they end up lost, but I bear some responsibility in remaining silent. But Chris, let's bring up our next question that we have on today's show. And it's great to have our panel with us. And we're thankful for the viewers that are out there. But what about the claim that as Christians or the local congregation, what, what happens when the world says, you know what, just kind of preach the gospel, stay in your lane, and don't deal with topics like abortion or homosexuality. You're just supposed to be teaching the gospel. Any thoughts on that particular argument, gentlemen? That sounds like... Um... Just tell people you've got a remedy and you don't tell them what you got them a, a remedy for. It's like a, a hospital saying, we've got medicine. Y'all come get it if you want it, but not showing that you need this medicine because here is your cancer. Here is your issue. 
And so how can you heal? How can doctors, how can hospitals heal if they don't explore and find the problem and expose the problem? If you don't have an x-ray machine, if you don't have an MRI to, uh, to expose what the problem is, how are you going to heal it? And so you it just, uh, just pretending that the gospel is all about good news but doesn't first tell you why you need the good news is not addressing the problem. Uh, people are not going to want this good news. If they don't, well, I don't need that. If you, if you realize what sin is, you will want the gospel because the gospel provides healing. When it comes to the issue of abortion, abortion is a sin. It is a manifestation of a deep, rooted cancer of the soul. And if we don't expose it, they're just going to keep on murdering little babies and acting like nothing is wrong. And, and you never get to the healing process. So the gospel can heal that. Uh, we've got a remedy for that. A homosexuality, uh, uh, adultery, uh, theft, thief, drunkenness. You know, you can name the sin and if you don't ever name it, they're never going to recognize it is a sin. And if you don't recognize sin, you don't recognize you're under condemnation for sin. And if you don't recognize condemnation of sin, you're not going to think the gospel is good news about anything. The, the reason the gospel is good news is because it not only points out the problem, and exposes it and makes sin exceedingly sinful so that we recognize I need Jesus. I need Jesus. We've got a remedy for every problem that humanity faces. Jesus is the answer. But if you don't know the problem, then you don't think you need the answer. And that's why the gospel is so important. The idea of just dealing with, with good news and just saying good news, good news. And nobody feels like they need the good news is not going to accomplish anything. You do have to deal with sin in first Corinthians chapter six, uh, after chapter five, Paul says you, 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 the church there was not dealing with a member that had his father's wife. And he says, if you're just going to turn a, turn a blank, uh, uh, turn a, a deaf ear to the truth about what's going on here, then you're not going to address a real needed, um, uh, an issue that really needs to be addressed. And so you're not going to do yourself any good. You're not going to do him any good. But in chapter six, he lists uh, different sins like um, adultery and fornication and homosexuality and drunkenness and thievery and those kind of things. He says, such were some of you, but you are washed, you are justified, you are sanctified. How did that, how did they get there? Well, somebody pointed out sin and what sin is and what sin looks like and how sin manifested itself. And that's why those particular people, he says, turned around and got themselves washed from all of those evil practices and justified before God. Because first, somebody pointed out, you need it. Sin is in your life and it needs to be. Dis uh, it's the x-ray machine of God's word needs to get down to the heart and it needs to expose what's evil there. And so those are my thoughts about, you know, you can't be silent about sin and then just hand, hand the remedy out. You've got to expose the sin before they'll want the remedy. Those are my thoughts. You know, this question presents a false, the fallacy of the false dichotomy. Uh, it's one or the other. No, it's not one or the other. Preaching the gospel does deal, deal with dealing with topics of uh, like abortion or homosexuality. Anything taught by the Bible is a part of the gospel. And so, you can't just preach the gospel and leave certain topics alone. Paul said in Acts 20, uh, verse 27, 
uh, I have not shunned uh, to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That's what a Christian does. That's what a preacher does. That's what the elders do. That's what every member of the local church should be doing in it, in his uh, personal evangelism. Uh, we've, we've got to learn what the Bible teaches and we've got to teach what the Bible teaches. And that's the gospel. It's all good news. Uh, Terry is right. Uh, sin is the bad news, but the, the, uh, what to do about sin is the good news. And uh, that's what we're, we're dealing with. That's, that's what we're dealing with. We need to help people understand that homosexuality is a sin and, and that they need to repent of that, that a, uh, abortion on demand at the very least is, uh, is a sin. And, and we need to deal, we need to deal with that. And so any topic uh, included in the Bible is a part of the gospel. It's, it's not like there's the gospel and then there's these other things over here. Uh, this is like we talked, I think it was last Wednesday or last Tuesday, we talked about the distinction some make between doctrine and gospel. There's no distinction. Uh, the gospel is the doctrine or should be the doctrine of the Lord's people. Well, Terry and Bob pretty much said it all, but like any preacher, we can always find more to say. Uh, but both Bob and Mark uh, noted there in Acts 20 what Paul said, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Just before he said that, he noted back up in verse 20 how I kept back nothing that was helpful, helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have to talk too much about repentance. Terry did a great job on that. Um, you don't know what to repent of unless somebody points out <laughs> what you need to repent of. Uh, but Paul says that that was helpful. And that was part of the whole counsel of God, as, uh, uh, as Bob said. Uh, but it's helpful, you see, to preach about repentance because that helps sick people get better. And, uh, and so when we preach the gospel, yeah, we're going to deal with all areas of life. And we're going to deal with sin. Some people, somebody said one time, you know, just just preach against sin, just be against sin. Um, okay. Well, what sin? Well, let's not go to meddling about that. But uh, uh, you need to be specific. People do not know what to repent of unless you preach and uh, deal with what is sinful. Terry. Okay. Yeah, I'd like to make a qualifying comment. Uh, you, you have verses like 1 Peter 3 that talks about a, a wife being able to win her husband without a word. But uh, I think we need to understand, yeah, there are times when we, we just, we've made ourselves clear and they, they know what we, where we stand and and we just need to live a life that that is a light of good influence that that we're not a threat in other words jesus says i want you to I want you to go out and preach but i don't want you to be a threat uh, to people i don't want you to be i want you to be harmless i want you to be harmless as doves but i don't but I want you to be wise too so you got to um you've got to learn how to say the right thing at the right time in the right way. Uh, so there is, there is, there are situations where we have to really be careful how we say something and, and the timing of it. And so we do have to look for opportunity. Jesus didn't just go in every, every town and lambast everybody about every sin that was present. Uh, he did look for opportunities to say the right thing, to open the, the door in the right way. And uh, so those are those are things that we have to be careful of. Colossians chapter uh, four talks about that. Uh, it says, "Let your speech be always with grace," and that is that it's it's a, that we say it in a way that it doesn't look like we're glad we got them told. We're not try trying to get people told for the pleasure that that gives us. No, we hate we have to say it sometimes. 
And we hate that people got wrapped up in, in sin in that way. And we just want to help them get out of that. We, we want to help them realize they need to get out of that. And so we, we have no pleasure in pointing out sin in others. We didn't have any pleasure in it, it being pointed out to us. When you go to the doctor and they point out you've got cancer, we don't want to believe it sometimes. And sometimes we get mad. No, that can't be right. No, you know, and we're, we're upset about it. Uh, maybe sometimes the doctor didn't approach us the kindest way, but he was getting the point across, trying to. So what I'm saying here is that, yes, yeah, sometimes a member can speak without grace in his heart. He can speak without caring for the soul, and he can be reckless in the way he says things. And so we don't want to be that way. But we have seen a number of members of the Church of Christ who will say things recklessly and probably do more damage than they if they kept their mouth shut. They might have done more good had they kept the mouth shut. It's because of the way they said it. It's not, and it may be uh, the pleasure that they seem to get out of getting people told, and that's the danger side. Being silent when you need to stand up for truth. It may be that a situation arises and all we need to say is uh, I've got a savior and, and he, uh, he can help people out of sins like that. You know, uh, those kind of statements are things we should be able to always be ready to say and say them in a kind way and with, uh, with, with uh, harmlessness and wisdom. Uh, try to bring people around to the truth uh, on these topics like abortion and homosexuality, homosexuality. Yeah, there are situations where you're just going to, have to be careful. You know that they're going to get upset with how, with what you say. But so you've got to look for an opportunity to say, well, I've got a savior that saved a lot of people out of sins like that. And those are my thoughts on that. We also have to understand that uh, just the expression of anger doesn't really encourage anyone. Um, you know, when Jesus looked over Jerusalem, it says he wept. And uh, where is our heart when it comes to sin? Um, yeah, sin should make us angry. But at the same time, um, we should pity uh, those that are in sin and offer them the gospel so that they might make a, a change in their lives. You know, um, when you look at the church, a lot of times the argument will come to you. If you're out there teaching and preaching the word, inevitably someone's going to ask you, well, what's your view on this subject or that subject? And, you know, we can't hold back on those things. Some topics can be addressed at a later time. Um, there are a lot of topics that I don't go right into a Bible study with because you've got to start with, with the Lord, bringing them to the Lord. Uh, I never brought anybody to the Lord because of my stand on, say, instrumental music. An excellent lesson about the authority of Scripture, but we get to that. I've never baptized somebody because I convinced them that we must sing, make humility in our hearts to God. Uh, but those lessons do come at an appropriate time. Sometimes they come quicker, sometimes they come a bit later. People oftentimes make the argument, well, you know, Jesus didn't say anything against this subject or that subject. Well, you know, we only have a limited recording of the things that Jesus said, but what we do have is the rest of the Bible that shows us exactly what Jesus' doctrine is, said by the words of the apostles and so on. Whatever Paul said, that came from the Lord. Whatever Peter said, that came from the Lord. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he told Peter in particular, and I believe this goes for the rest of the apostles, that what they preach and teach has been given to them from heaven, the authority from heaven. And another thing to consider, too, is that we are identified by what we do, yes. Uh, but we are also identified by what we don't do. Sometimes as the church, we are called antis because we stand against certain things. And it's important that we put our focus upon what we do. Uh, I won't disagree with that. But I know sometimes I'll go to a website for a church. And, you know, I can see that they teach Jesus and, you know, he's on the cross and, you know, and a lot of good lessons, a lot of things that pretty much every church does. But what really helps me identify a, a congregation as the Lord's body is what aren't they doing? 
And when you see a lot of, say, secular activities, institutionalism, whatever the topic might be, you can pretty much get a good idea as to where they stand about things. So I've got no problem going on there and saying, you know what, here's some things we don't do. And it's necessary to show people, uh, you know, what they're really asking. It's not that we're trying to start an argument, but we're trying to show in a loving way. And if you go back to the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and you see God's questioning of those people, it shows the necessity of pointing out our sins. Let let me just bring up a a, a point here. Uh, For instance, in Ephesians 5 and verse 11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Now, how do you expose something in the dark? You shine the light on it. The light, of course, is the word of God. And of course, we are to, as Paul says to Timothy, uh, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. And then here's some key words, reprove, rebuke, exhort. And then the character that goes along with that is with all long suffering. And of course, doctrine, there's your pillar and ground of truth right there. The doctrine of the Lord, always have a Bible in hand and be ready to teach. And I want to add this one other thing. I know I'm, uh, taking a little bit of extra time here, but we had a comment earlier in the lesson. Thank you, David, for bringing this up. And I didn't want it to go unnoticed. He asked the question, are there churches of Christ that do not teach on the topics you mentioned? And I'll just say, simply put, if they're not teaching on these topics, then they're failing. Uh, Because these are some things that are going on in our world. They are things that are bringing people away from God And we have to address the sin in order to show that righteousness is the way out of that sin. And so if there's some out there, um, you know, I hope not as far as local congregations and preachers that won't preach these topics uh, are sorely failing in their work. But as Terry noted, there's a right way and there's a wrong way. That's all I'll say at this point. Bob, you had another comment. Yes. Uh, you know, I've heard it said that it is very, very difficult to convince people of their need to be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. And that is and that is correct. But I tell you, the most difficult thing is to get people to repent. If you can get them to repent, you can't keep them from being baptized once they understand what it's for. Sure. And so but you got to start with as as Terry and and. Uh, Chris both pointed out, and probably Martin, both Marks have said this, but uh, you got to start with with the Lord. You got to start with with God. Uh, God's expectations, the Lord's expectations, what the Lord did on our behalf, uh, and and the crucifixion uh, helps us to understand more than anything the ugliness of sin and the atrocity of sin. And helps us to understand, you know, we need to do something about it just to, uh, to be, uh, we can never be worthy of, of what the, of what the Lord has done for us, but, uh, to show our appreciation for God. And if, if nothing else, to, uh, we need to convince people, you know, here's what God did for you. Now, are you willing to see what he wants you to do for him? And, and, talk to them about Jesus, about God, about Jesus and about repentance. And then, uh, then you might be ready to talk to them about baptism, but you don't start there. Uh, you've got to find common ground and unless you find common ground, you'll never make any progress at all in teaching people. Good uh, thoughts, gentlemen. You know, it's interesting. Peter's sermon on Pentecost, I think everyone would agree that is the gospel. And yet that message was that he accused them of crucifying their Messiah and called upon them to repent. It's interesting that Jesus shows up and John the Baptist, but Jesus shows up and it says he preached the gospel. But the first thing was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in the letters, it's interesting that clearly Paul in the book of Galatians is preaching the gospel and warns about another gospel. And yet that's the book that has the list of the works of the flesh in it. All right. You know, someone said, gentlemen, and I think someone told me years ago, 
the preacher, if you haven't preached on a topic in about four years, people maybe have forgotten about it. And I don't know, I thought that was just kind of somewhat of a good rule of thumb. Chris, what I want to do here, there's a question on Luke. Uh, I want to pop to the next one, Luke 14, 24. I want to spend a little bit more time on that maybe. Um, in Luke chapter 14 and in verse 26, there the Bible that Jesus um, admonishes the crowds that were following him. And he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. God comes first. God comes first before family. God comes first even before our own life. And and the thought there is, and is is that still expected of Christians today? Was that just expected of the apostles and Christians of the first century? That is does God really expect me to put my life and job on the line for the sake of truth? Is that an expectation that Christians in the 21st century are still under? Because I get the impression that there's many quote-unquote professed Christians out there or people in the denominations that say almost, well, that was then and that's what the early Christians had to go through. But God doesn't really require us to make those type of sacrifices today. And I'd like to hear your comments, gentlemen. You know, we, we read in Hebrews chapter 11 about what people of faith have done under the patriarchal age and under the age of Moses. And I want to, I want to start with verse uh, 37 there by faith. The harlot Rahab did not perish for those, who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Uh, a lot, uh, a lot uh, was, was riding on her at that time. Uh, I mean, that was kind of the, the turning point for the invasion there. Uh, they, the spies had gone in to spy out the land, and uh, apparently the king got word that they were in the land, and uh, she hid them, and she sent them, uh, the king's men, out another way. But then in verse 32, what more shall I say for the time would fail to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of aliens, Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. Now, they were not worthy of anything God did for them. That is the people of faith mentioned here. But even the world was not worthy of these people. And because of the example that these people set, uh, and they didn't even know about Jesus. They didn't know what Jesus was going to do. They just knew and understood that God was going to provide for them. And so they were willing to manifest their faith in God in a variety of ways, and yet sometimes people, well, you know, I got a headache today. I don't think I'll go to church, or uh, I would go out and and engage in personal evangelism, but I just don't know enough. We can all find excuses for things that we don't really want to do because our heart is not going to be in it anyway. But our heart needs to be in those things. We need to be willing to suffer uh for the sake of truth and uh yes sometimes our jobs will be on the line uh, sometimes our lives will be on the line but I tell you, there's something more important than our physical life and our uh our secular job and that is a home in heaven with god forever that's what we need to keep uppermost in our mind that's what the gospel really is all about I'd like to observe a couple of things here. You know, in Galatians, uh, Paul is trying to get brethren to stand up for the truth. 
in a world that's trying to compromise truth with error. And he makes this, this observation about some members of the church. He mentions in Galatians 6 verse 12, he says, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these try to compel you to be circumcised only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. So the reason they're trying to get you to compromise is because they don't want to suffer for the cross of Christ. And persecution is on the rise. Bad attitudes toward uh, the Lord's people is on the rise. And it may get to a point where it's very uncomfortable to be identified as a Christian. But you've got to be a person who separates the Lord into your heart, sanctify the Lord God in your heart, and always be ready. Means ready, uh, ready to be rejected, but ready to give an answer of why do you believe in Jesus? Why do you? Why are you committed to Him? And so the more the attitudes rise, we must not shrink back and be afraid to suffer for the cause of the cross of Jesus Christ. He suffered to the death for us. And therefore we must suffer for him and be ready to do so. Now, uh, the other thing that, that came to mind is Ephesians chapter six. We ought to be as Christians indispensable for the workforce. That is, if somebody's going to get fired, it's not going to be this Christian over here because he's my best worker or she's my best worker. And so his point to the Ephesians was you, you work like you're working for the Lord. And that sometimes will help Christians in the workforce be indispensable, be the last one that they want to get rid of because you work so diligently and honestly and that you're dependable and your work is uh, good quality and excellent. And that's because you already came to work working for Jesus first. And you want to put, put your best effort there. So there are two ways we can influence. When we need to speak up for Jesus, when we need to say, I work for Jesus first. And because I work for Jesus, I'm going to work for you, my employer. I'm going to work for you. Uh, a quality of work that you will find indispensable. Uh, and so what you've done there in two things is you've confessed. My first employer is Jesus. My second one is you, but you're going to be a beneficiary because I'm working for Jesus. All right. So God expects us. Yes. If he, he, he says that's not good enough. I, I don't want anybody that stands up for Jesus on my team. Well, then you're going to have to, then you're going to have to fire me and I'll have to look for employment somewhere else. Uh, don't be afraid of that. The Lord will take care of you and he'll, you'll find employment somewhere else, but yes, but you, we have to in times put our lives and our jobs on the line for Jesus who put his life on the line for us. Those are my thoughts. Those are good points, Terry. I don't want to brag, but, uh, I lost a job opportunity once because, you know, we couldn't work out the thing on Sunday. And, uh, <laughs> but here's the irony. Uh, I found something way better. And um, I'll never forget the opportunity I had. I went to this one particular place and uh, applied for the job. And I said, well, I, you know, I, I can't work Sunday. And I go to church and at the time I was going in the morning and the evening. And he says, well, I really need you on Sundays. You know, and I think in that he may have seen uh, a little dedication uh, in me. And as I walked away, he called me back. He said, wait, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Come back. He says, what time do you get out of church? I said, well, you know, noon, noon or so. He said, what if you came in, you know, noon to say five, you know, and, and, and work then? Because I'd really like to have you. And uh, I never missed a, I never missed a service. Because I had an employer that was willing to work with me and he compromised with me, or I'd like to say with the Lord, in order to uh, accommodate both our needs. And I was a good worker for him. Uh, and that was a good job. I, one, of my, one of my highlights in my 
uh, secular working career. But see, it can be done if you go in with the right heart and attitude, as Terry was saying. I just wanted to share that. Well, also, Chris, if you go in and let let it known, let 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 them know who you are in, instead of, uh, yeah, if you go in and say, hey, here's who I am. Here are my values. Uh, here's what I believe. Um, you know, it's interesting. If a person tries to say, well, these passages really don't apply to us today, then you're in this quagmire of, well, what passages do? Do any of them? <laughs> because it's it, they were all written at the same time, right? You can't go through and pick and choose. But what I'm really impressed is that that first generation, like Peter and Paul, etc., to the next generation, because Peter's writing to a lot of second generation Christians by the time he writes first and second Peter and Paul writes to Timothy, who would be basically kind of a second generation Christian too. And he doesn't say, okay, you guys are not really, you don't have to do this anymore. That next generation is told basically the same thing they were told of you're going to suffer. Uh, anyone who lives godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And But if you suffer as a Christian, that brings glory to God. And much of First Peter, written to a group of people that were not there uh, when Jesus was upon the earth, um, this teaching applies to them as well. Mark Gibson, do you have any comment? Well, Paul gave a principle when he was talking about his criticism of Peter and Barnabas and others there in Galatians 2, when he talked about they were not straightforward concerning the gospel of Christ. The word there means the idea of uh, a, a straight walk, being, being straightforward. And sometimes we're not being straightforward, and that goes to what Chris was talking about. You know, some people are even afraid to bring up, you know, I'd like to have Sunday off and Wednesday off. We, we don't want to even mention that, you know, somebody might get upset. I might not get this job or whatever. Are you being straightforward about who you are? Are you being straightforward about your faith? Are you being straightforward about your devotion? You want to know people who put their lives and jobs on the line. Read about the brethren in the seven churches of Asia. Those people, I mean, the book of Revelation is written to encourage devotion to the point of death. Uh, you, Thyatira was full of trade guilds. Those people were expected to sacrifice to the emperor as part of their job. So they were, they were looking at losing their jobs if they were going to be faithful to Christ. I mean, how are you going to support your family? How are you going to feed your family? Those are serious decisions that have to be made. And they were told to stand forward. They were told to overcome and they would receive the blessings of Christ. Um, people were being put to death. I mean, those people were having put it on the line. So, you know, <laughs> the things we have to deal with are, are small and sometimes seemingly inconsequential compared to what they were facing. But if we don't face what we have to face, how are we going to deal with what they dealt with? where we truly have to decide of whether we're going to uh, have a job or not, whether we're going to have to go on looking for something else. We're going, there may be some serious suffering that may have to be done in the decades ahead, even in this very country. So yeah, we, God expects us to put him first. And that means first before anything else, even before our own selves and our own lives. And all of that's, in our best interest you know i think sometimes we forget that that's really in our best interest why would uh why would you want to spend your life putting effort and and working for a company that wants you to compromise morally that's not honest um and i think terry makes a good point is that christians are in demand uh they're honest conscientious hard-working individuals are in demand everywhere and um many employers are looking for people like that it can get so bad though that you know um as in the first century uh that we are definitely persecuted but typically at that point at that point a lot of other things have collapsed <laughs> as well and so i like where the bible says to entrust our souls to a faithful creator 
uh, and the, the idea is, is not making it out of this life alive or comfortable means making it out of this life saved and, and, and right with God and with your integrity, with your integrity intact. I think that's good for the questions today, Chris. And so um, Christians, be vocal. Uh, be ready to give an answer to everyone who asked you and be living in such a way that people see your hope. Be living in such a way that people will ask, actually ask you what you believe. And when people try to pin you down on, well, what do you think about this? It is also fine to say, well, what do you think? And if they think it's okay, then okay, make your case. Make your case from morality make your case from whatever science or whatever but make your case and prove to me that what you're doing is a good a morally good thing and i will make my case from scripture and science and the record of civilization i'll make my case as well and let's have an honest discussion uh about this particular topic because a lot is on the line and i care about you you're a man or woman made in God's image, and you're going to face an eternity somewhere. And I really care about what happens to you. Chris? Okay. Excellent comments today. Uh, there's so much more that we could say about these subjects as well. W one of the things that comes to my mind, especially in talking about the job front, you know, we're mindful that jobs are not easy to come by. We, we've all experienced that ourselves. Uh, but understand this. God's people are not going to go hungry. Uh, God won't let you, and he uses his people to take care of his people. Uh, we'll be there for you. Uh, reach out, you know, be part of your local church. Don't let your local church be the one that has to compromise for the worldly. Don't give yourself over to the worldly and, and set God on the back burner. So even though, you know, you might think it's tough, uh, it's a lot tougher on your soul to, um, to, to compromise with the world. Um, on another hand, in regard to being vocal, you may not feel like you have an ability. And Moses didn't, <laughs> but God provided a solution. Aaron became his mouthpiece. And in regard to those things, understand this. That's what we're here for. Uh, we, we preach for various reasons. And one of those reasons is we have an ability to do so. Uh, we don't, you know, most of us don't really shy away from the opportunities to speak from someone. We've spent a lot of time growing in some knowledge of God's word. So if you think you don't know enough, call on us. We'll help you. Uh, don't think you always have to be the one that's right there with the right message, that your proclamation of Christ is always about standing on a street corner of the bullhorn, letting everybody know. We're there to help you as well. And you can reach out to us, email us. We can uh, find preachers and teachers that are in the area that you're in. You know, Go to your local congregation. Work with the brethren there, and if you know somebody, a neighbor, a friend, a family member, somebody that you love dearly and say, I just don't know how to approach them, will you go with me? I'm telling you, we will go with you. You don't have to do this alone. Let your light so shine by your good deeds, your good works, proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ and all that you do. When it comes down to the deeper doctrine and the teaching, you're not alone. And so take confidence in that. Uh, brethren, it's been good being with you today. Wish we had more time to talk about these great subjects today. And um, we look forward to seeing you, some of you at least, tomorrow on the Q&A program. So uh, have a good rest of your day. And we pray to see you then. As I said, tomorrow, uh, the live Bible Q&A comes to you every Wednesday at noon Eastern time. So join the brethren as they answer your questions that have been posed. And you can pose those questions through questions at answeringreligiousera.com. That's the best way to get those questions added to the lineup. But join us on those studies. You can ask a live question on the um, Facebook page as well as the YouTube page in the chat there. And uh, we'll try to get to those as time will allow. So that's tomorrow, every Wednesday at noon Eastern time. And then, of course, if the Lord wills, we'll be right back here next Tuesday at noon Eastern time for the Tuesday Live Bible Study as we continue our series, Why I Believe. We have another good subject lined up for you next time, so we're looking forward to that. If you'd like to listen to more of this program, or maybe you didn't catch it all, just go back and listen to it in a podcast format, 
and you can take that with you anywhere throughout the day. Just tell your podcast player to play Answering Religious Error. You'll also see the opportunity to, on those podcasts to listen to the Daily Answer as uh, Brother Mark Dunnigan encourages us with a few moments each morning, beginning as early as 5 a.m. Monday through Friday uh, with uh, perspectives of godliness and uh, take that message with you and go back. He's got a lot of programs out there. I'm starting to lose count. Well, we're getting we're getting near the 300 mark, I think. <laughs> and then start your Mondays with Bob's Bible Basics. Bob Myhan, who's with us today, is currently going through a series entitled Angels and Demons. It's been great. So go back and find him on Facebook and YouTube. That's every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Well, again, we want to thank you for joining us today. And we look forward to seeing you next time on Answering Religious Error.